In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you were with us last Sunday morning, you may remember that we started a series on faith. I don't have any notes uh, to work from, but that's all right. I've got more than I could do in several years. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, but I'm going to start reading first from from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll show you why when we get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writing to the church said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save or except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in much weakness and in fear and in much trembling And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. The perfect he's talking about, the word means complete. He's talking about people that are saved. He's talking about, I speak this wisdom to the church. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world nor the princes of this world that come to naught. The princes of this world are the evil spirits that are at work trying to dominate mankind and perform the devil's agenda. It's interesting because uh, this verse in other translations either calls it perishing, disappearing, or doomed to not exist anymore. Verse 7, but... We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world under our glory. I want you to notice that phrase, the hidden wisdom of God. The hidden wisdom of God. You know, Jesus, when he was in his earthly ministry, he made some statements about why he taught in parables. He said the reason that he taught in parables was so that people that weren't really committed or sold out to identify and find out and discover the things of God so that they wouldn't know, so that they wouldn't understand. Now, the Bible makes salvation abundantly clear and abundantly plain. If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess him as your Lord, that's the key to salvation. The Bible outlines that wonderfully. But beyond that, for the believers... Certainly not for the world. The message to the world is Jesus was crucified and died so that they could be saved or could enter into the new birth. But the hidden wisdom that is available to the church is that which sets us apart and that which brings us victory in life. There's two kinds of Christians in the world, apparently. There are those who are saved and are looking for and just waiting for for Jesus to come back so that they can be delivered from the the horrors and the evils of this world. But the second kind of Christian, Jesus called them disciples. Those are the ones that continue in the word. Those are the ones that seek after and find this hidden wisdom. Not all Christians find the hidden wisdom of God, folks. Now the Bible is clear and shows what it is. 
But it takes a commitment. It takes a being sold out to God attitude to find that hidden wisdom. Much of the church world thinks that Jesus died just for our sins and that's it. We've accepted him as our Lord and Savior. We've accepted his sacrifice as our own. So that's it. And they bide their time here on the earth not really looking for or expecting or knowing how to expect God to do anything much for them while they're here. And so the event that they seek is the rapture of the church. But folks, the Christian life is in and of itself the victory of God because of what Jesus has done. Our lives should be the event adventure. We should be looking forward to our lives, not just the rapture. And it takes an understanding of the hidden wisdom of God to get there. Now, faith is part of that hidden wisdom. Faith is part of that hidden wisdom. The Bible says, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, said there are three things that abide or will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. Faith is an eternal force. Faith is a characteristic of God. Now, in Mark chapter 11... We want to read some of the most beautiful words that were ever spoken from the master's lips concerning faith. And there's a great lesson here regarding or pertaining to the hidden wisdom of God. I'll start in verse 12. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he, speaking of Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Skip down to verse 20. And in the morning, meaning the next morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. Now this verse is translated different ways in different uh, translations. Some translated have the faith of God. From that we coined the phrase the God kind of faith. Because what other kind of faith would God have than the God kind of faith? There's really no preposition here. It would literally read have faith God. Now, I don't have a problem with either of the translations. I believe in having faith in God, and I believe in having the faith of God. But notice that Jesus is answering what must be an implied question. Peter really doesn't ask him a question. He just points out that the fig tree is dead. Master, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. It died overnight. There's no question there. Jesus could very easily have said, yeah, how about that? Well, if he had done that, we would have no clue as to the, the means whereby the work took place. Jesus could very simply have said, yes, Peter, now do you believe I'm the son of God? But he didn't say that either. Which indicates to us that it wasn't because he was the son of God that the, that the circumstance changed. Rather, he gives them the information on how you and I or anybody can change unfruitful circumstances in our lives. 
He said, have faith in God or have the faith of God. Have the God kind of faith. However you want to translate, it's okay with me. He's going to describe and define what that faith does. For verily I say unto you that whosoever, everybody say whosoever. whosoever. He's not saying this only works for me because I'm the son of God. He's saying this works for whosoever. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any. That your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Jesus identifies how faith is part of the hidden wisdom of God. He shows us how we can exercise authority, how we can overcome unfruitful circumstances in our lives. Faith is that which changes things. Now we know that to be true in salvation. We know the change that's made in salvation by believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead or believing in the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection. Maybe that's a better way to say it. And then confessing him as our Lord and Savior. The confession of our lips brings the reality of what Jesus did, the sacrifice of Jesus, into reality in our lives. We understand that's how faith works in salvation. But Jesus is telling us that faith works in everything. Faith works for everything. And folks, that is such a key element in the hidden wisdom of God. Because if faith works for anybody and on anything, then there's no limit to what man can do to carry out and accomplish the will of God on the earth. Jesus made some tremendous statements throughout his ministry here, the three years of ministry on the earth. One of them was, the works that I do shall you do also, and even greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. John 14. How in the world can we do that? Well, he just told us that which changes things. He just told us that which was the reason and the means whereby he did the miracles on the earth. Then he says we can do the same things. He said we can do the same things. One of the things that revolutionized my life got a hold of a tape series by Brother Hagen, the Mountain Moving Faith series. One of the things that revolutionized my life turned it around, absolutely turned around. I already loved God. I was saved. I've been saved since I was a child, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Had several different opportunities, different directions that I could go if I wanted to, and none of them seemed to be right. None of them seemed to fit with what I was supposed to do. I had no clue about pursuing the will of God or the inward witness to find the will of God. Didn't know any of that. But when I heard on this tape series from Brother Hagen that faith changes things, that faith was something you could gain and use and utilize to change things in your life, that changed me. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 17. He said, faith is your servant. 
He said to the disciples, talking about forgiveness, if your brother trespass against you seven times in a day and seven times a day repents, then forgive him. And the disciples said, Lord, you're going to have to increase our faith for that. It's good that they knew that forgiveness comes by faith, not by feelings. But their thought was the same as, as so many people think, and that is, I don't have enough faith for this proposition. I don't have enough faith to carry this out. So he said, Lord, you're going to have to increase our faith. And Jesus simply said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd say to the sycamine tree, be uprooted and plucked up into the sea. And it would obey you. And then he says something else about faith. He said, which of you having a servant coming in from the field would tell him to feed himself before he prepares and feeds you? He said, even so, faith is your servant. Faith is supposed to work for you, not you work for it. Faith is supposed to produce things for you and for your benefit. It works that way in salvation. It provides the new birth for us. Why in the world does the church world, by and large, there are exceptions, but why does so much of the church world think that's where faith ends? Folks, that's just where faith begins. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. The Bible tells us and teaches us different descriptions, gives us different descriptions of faith. For example, Jesus said on one occasion talking to the centurion that he had not found so great faith not in Israel. He said to the disciples on many occasions, O ye of little faith. The Bible talks about strong faith. Abraham having, uh, had strong faith instead of weak faith. Well, if faith can be weak or strong, if it can be great or small, then that means faith is measurable. And that means we can increase our faith. There are things we can do to change our faith, to change our faith level, to change our faith amount, if you will. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 3. Paul said, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. That means every man in the church. Among you is a reference to the, who, the letter, who the letter is written to. And it's written to the church in Corinth. I'm sorry, the church is in Rome. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now there's a, a scripture over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2, I believe. And it says this, he's talking about the church praying for them. And he says, and pray for us that we might be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men. For all men have not faith. Now some people take those two scriptures, Romans 3 and uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And they say, well, see, there's contradictions in the Bible. But there aren't. The all men that have not faith that Paul is talking about to the Thessalonians are the unsaved. But the all men that have been given the measure of faith are those who are in the body of Christ. Now think about what that means. That means... Since faith is present 
in the Christian and absent in the unbeliever, the unsaved, then that means the origin of faith has to be with God. It has to be with God. Now, the Bible tells us how faith comes. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. It doesn't say faith comes by prayer. It doesn't say faith is greater in some people and less in some people just because that's the way God is. It says faith comes by hearing. Here it says that God deals to every man the measure of faith. What is that measure of faith for? For salvation. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Here's a verse of scripture that everybody in the body of Christ is familiar with. It says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God. What's the gift of God? Well, salvation certainly is the gift of God. But that's not what it's talking about here. When it says it's the gift of God, that means the faith to be saved is the gift of God. Well, how does faith come? Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Look with me to Romans chapter 10. I think we need to look at some of this rather than just quote it and speak to it. Romans chapter 10. Let's start in verse 8. It says, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Notice Paul called the word that he preached, the gospel that he preached. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's what he preached. He preached the gospel of Christ. He calls the gospel that he preached, the good news of Jesus, the word of faith. Now, folks, there are a lot of people that are out there in the body of Christ saying, well, you know, that faith business, we don't pay too much attention to that. We just stick to the gospel. <laughs> Paul called the gospel, he preached the word of faith. He tells us how this works. What says that the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if, any, that if thou shalt confess... With thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And some people would say, well, okay, the gospel of Jesus is the word of faith, but the word of faith provides salvation, and that's all that it does. Well, then how in the world did the woman with the issue of blood receive her healing by her faith? Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Her faith didn't bring her salvation. Her faith brought her physical healing. How is it that there were others that gained and took hold of things by faith in Jesus' ministry? Jesus talking to the Syrophoenician woman. After discouraging her several times, she came to Jesus and said, My daughter is in trouble. She's grievously vexed with the devil. Help her. Jesus didn't answer her a thing. She came then and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She wasn't a Jew. He says, I can't help you. She came to him again and said, Lord, even though I may be a dog, that's what the Jews called the Gentiles. 
Jesus said further, I should have added this. He said, I can't help you. It's not right or appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. So now he's calling her names. And she answered based on what he said. She said, truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, daughter, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you will. How did her faith do that? If her faith did that for her, and if the woman with the issue of blood's faith brought her physical healing, one faith brought deliverance, one faith brought healing, then unless God is a respecter of persons, unless he wanted more for them than he wants for you and me, then that would have to mean our faith can bring the same results for us. And folks, that is the hidden wisdom of the Bible. That's the hidden wisdom. The hidden wisdom is that it's not just entering into the family of God, as important as that is. And that has to be the first step for us. That has to be our first and foremost concern. But it's just the first step into all the things that God wants for us. Let's keep reading here in Romans 10. What says it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Notice he's saying faith is of the heart. That means it can't be of anything else. It can't be of the head. It can't be of the feelings. It's of the heart. For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Salvation's for everybody. We know that. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Faith is the necessary ingredient, in other words. And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? That's the first part of Isaiah 53. Verse 17, so then, because of the way that it works, because of the way that God set it up, because of the necessity of faith to bring salvation or to bring anything and everything from God, the blessings of God unto us, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So look at what we've seen so far. We've seen in Romans 12, 3, that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. It talks about Faith having been dealt to us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says faith is a gift. It's given to us of God and necessary to bring about salvation. And here in Romans chapter 10 verse 17, we see that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So we've got dealt, given, and comes regarding this faith. Now look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul writing to the church, writing to other believers, writing to those who have been dealt the measure of faith. Notice what he says to them. 
It says, we having the same spirit of faith. According as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Notice what he's saying to the church at Corinth. He's saying, because we're in the family of God, faith has been dealt to us. Faith has been given to us. Faith has come to us through the hearing of the word. He's saying that that's the same spirit of faith as God has himself. Now, folks, that would make sense if we understood the hidden wisdom of God. And the reason that it makes sense is because at the creation, God having created the earth, said, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness. Those phrases mean an exact duplicate in kind as God himself. Doesn't mean that God made us with his same creative ability, but he made us to operate in this earth, this new creation called the earth with authority. He said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let them have authority or dominion over the works of our hands. He put man in charge of the earth. He gave man authority over everything that he had created. And he had just looked at it and said, it's very good. It was a perfect existence. Even though the devil was present on the earth, he was, no, he was a non-issue. And folks, through faith, operating in the authority God's given us, even though the devil is still here on the earth, he can be a non-issue for us too. How did God expect Jesus, I'm sorry, how did God expect man, Adam and Eve in the garden? How did he expect them to operate like he did? Well, the first chapter of Genesis has just defined ten different times where God said, let there be, and there was. He said, like be, and it was. In other words, it shows us ten different times, ten specific things that God spoke and something came into existence. Now, how does that differ from what Jesus said when he explained how he cursed the fig tree and the fig tree died. We read it in Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Folks, when I came to understand through the teaching of Brother Hagin on that tape series I got a hold of over 40 years ago, when I came to understand that through faith in God's word, my words could come to pass, it changed my life. It revolutionized everything. I try to remember back to when I was a Christian trying to serve God, love God with all my heart, trying to serve him while trying not to miss out on the good things of life, or at least the things that other people told me were good. I'm trying my best with the only strength I have, which is physical strength. I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to please God. I had no idea that without faith it's impossible to please God. So all my efforts were in vain, no matter how much I denied myself of what the church told me I shouldn't be involved in. No matter whatever else was going, it was all of the flesh, which was all I knew. And so it couldn't be pleasing to God. And I was frustrated. I feel for so many believers, so many 
denominational believers that are trying their best to serve God and they know that they come up short. And they come to a place, I had come to a place, where I just accepted that there's no way I can please God. There's really no way I can exercise the strength or show the strength necessary to keep myself out of sin. So I guess this is just all there is. Folks, I understand why denominational Christians, denominations themselves, have come up with the ideas and the excuses for why the power of God doesn't work today like it used to. They're trying to excuse themselves and their own weaknesses. They're trying to put it off over on God. Well, God's not doing the same thing he used to. We don't see anybody healing the sick like Jesus did. So I guess things have just changed. Or could it be that we haven't discovered the hidden wisdoms of God's word? And we're failing in the way that we're trying to accomplish God's will. There was a man named George Muller. He was born in 1805. He established uh, orphanages. He wound up having six different homes throughout his lifetime. In the Bristol, England area, or the Bristol area of England, he also, in his lifetime, started 117 schools. And over the course of his lifetime, from the time that he started, I think uh, 1832, no, 1836, was the first uh, orphanage that he began. And he lived to 1895. And throughout the course of his life, he was responsible for over 10,000 orphans. Now, folks, 18, well, 1836, when he started those things, started his first orphanage. That's before the telephone. There's no mailing list. There's no website. There's no way for him to publish, publicize what he was doing. There's really no way except for people in his local area that, uh, that discovered his, his work and found out about the orphanages. There was really no way for him to advertise. He just had to take it on faith. And he was responsible throughout his lifetime for over 10,000 orphans and the, the resources to buy the food or provide the food for them, along with all the staff that he had throughout those years. He was responsible for it on his own. Throughout his lifetime, he believed in over 7.5 million pounds, British pounds. In today's money, that would be somewhere in the neighborhood of $50 million dollars. He said at the end of his life, when he was 93 years old, he said that when he started off, all he could believe God for was six pence. Now, I don't know how much that is, but apparently it's a low number. We don't deal in pences and pounds, especially not the equivalent of his day. But it was a very small thing. Maybe we could call it the equivalent of a dollar, just for illustration purposes. He said, it took all the faith I had to believe in that, that smaller amount, that dollar, that sixpence. He said, but by the end of my life, after having fed on the word of God, having fed my faith, I was able to believe in a million pounds easier than I could that sixpence in the beginning. Folks, faith can grow. 
Paul commended the church at Thessalonica. He said, your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of God toward each one of you abounds. Now, folks, if faith is what the Bible says it is, if it's what Jesus said it was, if faith is an ingredient, a spiritual force that can change circumstances in life, remove hindrances so that we operate in, take part in the blessings of God, God's will for us, what Jesus purchased for us. If faith is what Jesus said that it was, and the Bible tells us how to, to get faith, it tells us how faith comes, which is through the hearing of the word. Then all we need to know is how to use our faith to gain access to everything God has for us. If he defines faith, if he tells us how to get it, then whose responsibility is it to get it? It's ours. Now, I know a lot of people don't like that. I know a lot of people are much more satisfied and willing, rather, to put it all over on God and say, well, whatever God wants, it's up to him. But if faith is the necessary ingredient to receive from God, then a failure on our part to develop our faith ensures that we're going to receive mighty few of the blessings that Jesus purchased for us. Mighty few. I had an interesting experience this week. On Monday, Katie and I went to uh, Disneyland. We got somebody that works over there to let us in because our passes don't work for the summer. We hadn't seen that new Star Wars land yet, and Katie was chomping at the bit for that, so we went. And like every other Disney thing out there, they overhyped, underperformed, and then overwhelmed you with mer merchandise. <laughs> no offense to the people that work there. But we were, it was later in the day, and Katie was wanting to do one of these rides. I think she was wanting to do Splash Mountain. So she started walking to get there as fast as she could, and I couldn't keep up with her. I tried to keep up with her without running. <laughs> but something in my right heel popped. I felt an excruciating pain. One of those drop-to-your-knees type thing. I didn't, but it was everything I could do to keep from it. And it slowed me up considerably, as you might have well imagined. And so I hobbled another couple of steps. And I talked to the Lord about it. As soon as it happened, I went, oh, no, Lord. Well, he didn't do it. Why am I talking to him? <laughs> but stay with me. There's a point here. I know there not, isn't always one, but there is this time. <laughs> but I said, oh, no, Lord. Now, if you know anything about Disneyland, I'm on the back side of the property, which means even getting to the entrance is going to be a lot of steps. And so I said, Lord, I can't deal with this right now. I wound up taking five steps maybe. And between that fifth and the sixth step, I simply said, foot be healed in Jesus' name. 
By the time it made contact on the sixth step, I was completely well. There was no pain. In fact, it almost startled me, and so I'm looking for it. <laughs> it didn't hurt anymore. It hadn't hurt again since. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did my foot not stop hurting when I said to the Lord, I can't deal with this right now. Because he's not the one with authority over my foot. That's up to me what I'm going to have. Or what I'm not going to have. And folks, there's a Bible pattern for this. Remember in the beginning, the creation account. It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth became without form and void. And darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. Well, you've got the Holy Spirit that's present. He's the one that's going to do the work here on the earth. But nothing happened until something was said. Now, it goes without question. I had faith for my foot to be healed. This wasn't a matter where I had to stop and get out my phone and pull up my Bible app and start reading to find out what the Word said. And, and folks, unfortunately, that's the way it works with too many people. They come upon tragedy. They come upon a, a tragic situation. They come upon a, a, a situation where they really need help. And they're not equipped with what the Word says up front. And so they try to find what's there. They try to build their faith. Smith Wigglesworth said this, he said, if you don't have your faith built up before you need it, you're too late. If you haven't built yourself up in faith, preparing for the problems that come to you, chances are you're too late. It was only when words were spoken. And all I said is, foot be healed. In Jesus' name. And that was it. That was the end of it. Now, folks, I know better than that. I know how this stuff works. I teach you how this stuff works. But my first inclination was to talk to God about it. That's not what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. He did not say, whosoever shall talk to God about the mountain. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Let me ask you a question. What difference does it make if the fig tree died? Now there was a prophetic symbolism to it. Because in scripture, Israel is always represented by the fig tree. So when Jesus, just a couple of days before he's taken captive and crucified, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, he's cursing Judaism. He's cursing the keeping of the law. He's saying that it's unfruitful, it's always been unfruitful, and now it's dead. So there was a prophetic symbolism to it. But he didn't explain that to the disciples. It didn't have anything to do with why he did it or why he used this example to show them how faith works, did it? Why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Well, outside of the prophetic symbolism... The, example, the um, information that the story gives us 
is because it didn't feed him like it was supposed to. Had no bearing whatsoever on whether or not he's going to go to the cross. Has no bearing whatsoever on the sacrifice he makes for us or the resurrection. He cursed the fig tree and the fig tree died because it didn't suit him. Would God have been displeased if he hadn't cursed the fig tree? Well, probably not, since you didn't know the symbolism before I just told it to you. It's certainly not the symbolism and the representation of of Israel that God was trying to, to clue us in about. So why did Jesus curse the fig tree? Because it didn't have fruit on it like it was supposed to. Now, I don't want to call that frivolous. But it certainly wasn't the most important thing going on in his life. Folks, what you and I use our words on are entirely up to us. Here again, we've got the measure of faith that's been given and dealt to us by God at the new birth. It was a gift of God It's the same spirit of faith that God used to create the worlds himself. That's the same spirit of faith. That's the same faith we have. The question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? If we know what faith is, if we know how faith comes, then all that's left is whether or not we're going to use it. As we said, Muller's quote, was after feeding my faith daily for 50 years and exercising it. How do you exercise your faith? By using it, by speaking. Remember when Jesus is talking to the disciples about using their faith in Luke 17? We talked about where he said, forgive seven times seven if somebody repents. They said, Lord, increase our faith. Here's a common thing that people profess today. They're saying we don't have enough faith for that. What did Jesus tell him to do? Jesus didn't even tell him, go back to my sermon on the mount. He didn't say, go back to what I said a couple of days ago. He didn't say, well, don't you remember? He didn't say any of that. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. In other words, if you have a measure of faith, if you have the gift of faith, if you have faith that was dealt to you, which we all have, if you have the same spirit of faith as God himself, you'll say, You'll say, you'll say to the mountain or to the problem, to the tree, whatever. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, if you have the smallest amount of faith, faith is measurable. We talked about that already. If you have faith, whether it's small or great, weak or strong, if you have faith, the smallest, and he uses the smallest measure that that we can identify from his time and the day that he lived in. He said, if you have faith, it's a grain of mustard seed. He tells us in another place that a mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. And that's the example he uses. If you've got just the smallest measure, the smallest grain of faith, say to the problem, speak to the mountain, speak to the tree, speak to the hindrance, speak to the lack of money, speak to the sickness, 
If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, even the smallest amount of faith will produce results. Because it's the God kind of faith. Can you imagine God looking into the darkness and saying, let there be light, and a voice answering back and saying, no, you don't have enough faith for that. (laughs) Folks, faith is a characteristic of God who never changes. That's why it's an eternal force. That's why it never passes away. It never will come to an end. I think one of the saddest points, it's going to be a, a, a delightful and joyful time when Jesus comes back for all of us, right? Yeah. We're taken up into heaven. The Bible tells us about one thing that takes place during that uh, tribulation period over the next seven years after Jesus get, comes back for the church. One of the things that takes place is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I'm not sure exactly the timing on these things and how they all fit together. But there will come a time when we come to heaven. Maybe immediately after we get there. There will be a time where our eyes will be opened. And we will see what we did versus what we could have done. We will see. You hear so often people say things like, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord why he allowed this on me. Oh, I want to watch that. (laughs) I really, really, really want to watch that. I want to see all the people that said, no, faith doesn't work like that. Those people, they're just arrogant. They're trying to impose their will instead of God's will. Please, God, please let me watch. (laughs) They're going to see. Their eyes are then going to be open. They could be open now if they would allow it. But then their eyes will be opened. And they will see the opportunities that were presented to them to use the thing that the Bible produces for every one of us called faith to bring about God's will. Instead, they'll see where they maligned God. They'll see where they took sides against him by taking sides against the word. Folks, one of the things that has become very real to me. The Bible says that God sent his word and healed us. He sent his word and healed us. Why then do people try to get healed any and every other way other than the word? There's a lot of prayer for people's healing that God wants them to have. He wants them to possess. That he sent Jesus to pay the price for so that they could have and could possess. There are a lot of people that are praying that God would do something contrary to his word so that they could have a well body. Our first and foremost response to every situation we come in contact with should be, what does the word say? When I think back on before I knew, the time before I knew the hidden wisdom concerning faith, I marvel at how different my life is now. And my life's not different because I'm in the ministry. My life's not different just because I'm pastoring a church. 
I went from not knowing what faith was to faith dominating my life. Which means I'm meditating in the Word every day. Which means I'm reading the Word every day. Which means I'm feeding my spirit on the Word of God every day. Which means I'm utilizing my faith every day. I've had a lot of faith failures. I've had a lot of things that I reached out beyond my level or measure of faith. But even so, God was gracious. Even so, he showed me where my error was, where the mistake was, where I made the mistake. He pulled me back over on track. And if there's any one thing that dominates my life, it's faith. I learned more about God by developing my faith. I learned more about his character by developing my faith. I grew in love by developing my faith. Because faith works by love. won't work without it. It changed my life. Just like it's supposed to. Just like it's supposed to. Now parables aren't a problem for me. They shouldn't be a problem for any of us. When you understand the hidden wisdom of God, then your life is altered to come in line with God's will and his plan and his purpose. I learned something this week. I learned that even though I'm a faith man, strong in faith, man's first inclination is to talk to God about what's going on rather than speaking to the issue. Thank God for the reminder. Jesus said, here's what the kind of faith that God has works like. Whosoever shall say, 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 not think, not pray about. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. That means there's going to be a fight to it. There's going to be a conflict. But whoever speaks to the mountain and refuses to doubt in his heart, but shall believe instead that the things that he say, the things that he says will come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Folks, the sky is the limit on what we can do according to the will of God. When we learn and operate in the hidden wisdom of things that God has given to us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for sending Jesus for us, for the sacrifice he made, but also for the things that he taught us about you and about our place here on this earth. We thank you, Father, that we have authority in our own lives to take hold of the things that Jesus purchased for us through his sacrifice. Therefore, we declare that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We declare that we've been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. We declare that healing was purchased for us through Jesus taking stripes upon his back. We thank you that the chastisement of our peace, including physical and material well-being, was laid upon him.
we declare, Father. We speak and call in finances into our lives. We speak to sickness and command it to leave our bodies. We speak to doubts and fears and command them to go because fear is not of us. And we are believers and not doubters. We declare that we have the same spirit of faith that created the worlds in the beginning. Just because God's word says so. Thank you, Father, that your word never fails. And when we operate according to your word, we get results every time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's all stand together. I want you to say that together with me. Say this after me. We have the same spirit of faith that God used to create the worlds. We have authority given to us by the plan of God to use his word to dominate the works of the devil that come against us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't forget, folks, we're going to start the prayer meeting here just, uh, well, right away immediately, I guess. If you can stay, we invite you to. If you have to go, we understand. Let's operate on a new level of our faith. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being with us.